Okay, it's me, it's Thomas Nicholl from The Fourth Official, and uh, tonight I've been joined by uh, one of the faces of Scottish football. You recognise him from Sky, from TalkSport, uh, this season from Hibs TV, and a, and a number of other places. It's, uh, it's Mr David Tanner. David, how are you? Thomas, I'm very well. It's nice to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I see some of the stuff that goes on uh, The Fourth Official. It seems very smart, narrative challenging sometimes, so good on you. Keep it up. Oh, thank you very much, and it's our pleasure to have you. Um, Let's get stuck straight into it. You're a big football man. You're, a, like I said, a very recognisable face in the Scottish game. Um, and I, I really like sort of diving under people's early experiences with football. So I want to take you right back to your childhood and understand, did you just did you just grow up around football? Have you just always been a football guy? We should do this on the Dr. Thomas's couch, shouldn't we? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, you can treat Tell it as therapy about, if you want. <laughs> Tell me about your relationship with your father <laughs> um my earliest memory of football is quite a quite a game mm. uh scotland three the netherlands two in the world cup at argentina 1978 um i have memories of andy cameron on top of the pops singing ali's tartan army we're mm -hmm. on the march with ali's army we're going to the argentine <laughs> we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup because Scotland is the greatest football team. And of course, we all genuinely believed it. Uh, I can remember seeing Ali McLeod, the manager of that ill-fated trip uh, to Argentina, uh, on Blue Peter. Um, you never missed the kids' TV programmes because there were about four of them at that time. Yeah. So I can remember him being on it. I have to say, I don't remember him saying that they were going to win the World Cup. Uh, but he did say it, and he said it on Blue Peter. And the game itself was something I remember the family being around uh, the TV. Um, and the, there was great excitement at one of the goals. Now, I don't know whether it was at Archie Gemmell's famous goal. Uh, I don't know whether it was at Kenny's uh, second goal. Or I don't know whether it was Johnny Rep's 40-yarder that ripped the net out and stopped us, um, stopped the recovery in its tracks. Mm -hmm. um, but what I do remember is that one of these goals led to the couch tilting, uh, <laughs> and I was sitting on the top of the couch as a six-year-old and uh, took a tumble off the back, and I had my Scotland flag in my mouth, and I ended up <laughs> piercing <laughs> the roof of my mouth. Oh, no. And I can tell you I have a a faint memory of being in the casualty department at the hospital in Greenock. I think it's before <laughs> the Inverclyde Royal was built, but the hospital in Greenock. Um, and of course, on the night of a Scotland football game mm. in the 1970s, you can imagine it was not where my father wanted to take a six-year-old. Um, it would have been uh, scenes resembling uh, well, George Square, um, <laughs> but uh, scenes resembling a battlefield. So mm -hmm. that is my earliest memory of a football game. Um, and quite a memory at that. My, my next memory is uh, a, a game, I think it was a League Cup final, in which Peter McCloy of uh, Rangers, Rangers Aberdeen, uh, scored, uh, sorry, um, ended up dangling from the goalposts mm -hmm. um, after Aberdeen scored. And um, so Aberdeen and Rangers played a lot of finals or a couple of finals around about that time. I can't remember much about the games. Um, I do know that my next door neighbour here in Edinburgh, his brother 
Um, Duncan Davidson scored for Aberdeen in one of these games. Um, not, I don't think it's that particular one. So the um, those are my earliest memories. And you've got to remember that back then, live TV games were very, very few and far between. So mm. as I say, I've got those are my memories. I can't remember very much after that uh, for quite some time. I can definitely date those two moments as being unusual. And of course, there were no video cassette recorders, or certainly we didn't get one mm-hmm. until about 1982. Um, so you were only getting to see these moments uh, either well, live because, you know, sports scene in Scotsport were on at night and mm-hmm. I didn't get up that late to see it. So, yeah, that was me as a six-year-old in, uh, in Guruk and, you know, playing football back then. Um, well, I, I learned to play the game um, when we lived in a very steep hill, you know, the, the Guruk and the, the Clyde next to Greenock. Um is built on a slope. Um, right. And there is an old phrase which says, away to the side like Guruk. And Guruk is indeed away to the side like Guruk. <laughs> and we lived right at the top of the town, just underneath the uh, the cross of Lorraine, the famous postcard shot you get of, of, of Guruk. And a one and two hill, I guess, maybe a one and three hill. And so playing football was booting the ball up the hill <laughs> and I'm waiting for it to come back down. So it was like kind of gravity football. So those were my early experiences of it as, as a kid. And uh, in terms of going to the games, yeah, um, I think my first game was early 80s. Um, very vague memories of midweek uh, British home international championship matches. Um, you know, half empty at best, Hamden Park. Games against Northern Ireland. I remember being fascinated by Pat Jennings, who was a famous name for my Panini sticker albums. <laughs> and he had that kind of uh, haircut, that kind of Marcel wave thing he had going on. But he still got the same hair. Um, even now, uh, Big Pat. Um, and I remember Di Davis, who was a Welsh goalkeeper, who and I, we used to stand next to the tunnel. And I remember spotting he had no teeth. Um <laughs> And I, um, who died about a month ago, um, sadly, um, uh, I, I was fascinated by the fact he was called Die. I'd never heard that name before. Um, but he was a coal miner from Wales, to say no teeth. Fascinating. Uh, I was fascinated by these guys. Mm-hmm. I was also fascinated by the fact that the, the Welsh manager was called Mike England. <laughs> Seemed <laughs> a little bit odd. Yeah. yeah. So there was... Um, you know, th- these were the early memories, and um, you know, when I when I think of Scotland, um, I think of Asa Hartford, who was a kind of mainstay in the, the Scotland team at the time. As was Graham Souness, as was Kenny. Uh, I remember seeing George Burley play. Didn't get too many caps, um, but the the one guy I, th- I suppose I associate more than anything with Scotland at that time was Alan Ruff, mm-hmm. um, and I I could never really understand as a kid. In fact, I can't understand it now um, why uh, Scruffy played so many games and played for Partick Thistle. I mean, he was part-time, and yet there he was, um, you know, pulling off some sensational saves. Mm-hmm. Um, a great shot stopper, Ruffy. Um, but, you know, in the company of European Cup winners like Kenny Dalgleish and John Robertson, who was just unbelievable, um, the Nottingham Forest winger, two times European Cup winner. Mm. 
and Clough's uh, favourite player. So those are great memories of of the old um, Hampden Park and the tarmac urinals and uh, <laughs> just this sort of uh, dishevelled old mess that the old place was. But it was magical. And I still get excited when I go to Hampden Park. I get really pissed off when people criticise Hampden. Mm. Um, you know, there is something magical about uh, what is, after all, uh, Glasgow's neutral acre, Scotland's neutral acre, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really it's great hearing that sort of early story of you as a six year old. And obviously, it didn't end particularly brilliantly for you, but it reminds me like one of one of my early memories in in football and supporting Scotland was the the ninety eight um, World Cup and John Collins scoring the penalty against Brazil in the opening game and everything. And it just everyone's got one of those kind of first moments as a Scotland fan. And luckily for us, it's it's at a, a World Cup or some kind of major event. But I guess there'll be a lot of people perhaps listening to this that just don't have any kind of experience of of what that's like. But it's coming and uh, and you're going to be involved in part of it, but we're going to talk about that later. So, um, so yeah, when, when in your sort of upbringing then, David, did you decide, right, sport and football is something that, that there's a career for me in and I, I want to pursue... Um, you know, a career in sports journalism. How did that all come about? There is somewhere a short recording on mm. a, an old audio cassette of me as an eight, nine, ten-year-old uh, whistling or singing, humming the, the Radio Clyde Super Scoreboard theme, <laughs> uh, which is an awesome piece of music, by the way. It's called Lap of Honour okay. by the London Stadium Orchestra um, by a guy called um, Ron Vickers. Um it wasn't a big 60s band. And it was written for the, it was commissioned for the 1974 World Cup okay. for the ITV coverage. In fact, there's some ITV World Cup coverage popped up on YouTube in the last year or two. And you can see it there in all its glory. I mean, it's, a, it's a tune that doesn't actually work on TV because you can't mm. really cut to pictures. Well, certainly ITV didn't manage it, but a terrific tune. Anyway, I was um, humming that. And then on this cassette, um, you can hear me, uh, as I say, I would be, 10 or under, um, reading out the sports news from the Glasgow Herald and the Daily Record with the two papers that generally arrived in our house on a weekday. And the inspiration for all that, I would say, would be Richard Park. Okay. Um, and Richard Park was the godfather of sports radio. In fact, the godfather of radio. He still works in radio in his 70s. Um, but he was the, the guy who... Uh, created the super scoreboard format. And if you're from the East Coast, you'll not know what that is, but it is an immense, huge programme on Radio Clyde. And it's been about 20 years since they had live football on it, live coverage, but they still wipe the floor with BBC Radio Scotland because of that, A, trust in the brand, mm. and B, that entertainment uh, that the BBC try and never really get close to. Um, so... Park was uh, the DJ, the, the, the head of music I later discovered when I got to work at Radio Clyde, but he was a lunchtime DJ. He did the dirty late night phone-in on a Tuesday night called <laughs> Dr. Dick's Midnight Surgery. Isn't that glorious? <laughs> and he just said a bit, he'd, uh, he was from Kirkcaldy, but had a kind of mid-Atlantic uh, kind of DJ cool droll uh, style. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he presented the programme they had pundits on it. You didn't get pundits on the BBC. And they had arguments and they had this little guy called Jimmy Sanderson, um, who was a big sports writer in the Daily Express, uh, among others. 
And James Anderson spoke like that, a very <laughs> unique voice, and he was very <laughs> verbose, absolute bunk man balderdash. And I was fascinated with this guy. I met him. I've got an old autograph book upstairs. And then it's got Jock Steen's autograph. Um, Jock Steen, by the way, called Richard Park, Ibrox Park. <laughs> um, so uh, paranoia and uh, accusations of media bias. Uh, it's not a thing from uh, the social media age. Mm-hmm. Started off long before that. Mm-hmm. So this guy Park was the guy who inspired me. Um, but in addition to that, um, my ambition was to be the radio commentator. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, father was the commentator for the blind fans at, okay. at games. And the reason he was commentator for the blind fans was that my grandfather, in fact, both paternal grandparents were blind. And granddad, who um, legend has it, um, was in at home in Paisley. And he heard a couple of men in a bar or in the street or whatever chatting. And they said they were off to the game. Mm. And he climbed on the back of their car, the old platform, and kind of ch- ch- uh, chummed a lift. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I believe that to be true, actually, because a number of people have said to me he was an expert, at, at, you know, totally blind from birth. He was an expert at jumping off the, the open platform buses. When, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, when they were still moving and when he knew that they were outside whatever pub that they were heading off to, um, he had a sixth sense. And somebody once said to me, I don't think your granddad is, but he must have some decent sight because he, you know, he's like he's got radar. And I said, no, oh, he's like a bat. <laughs> um, he must have a little bit of sight. Well, I said, if he does, it's, it's pretty high tech because he's got two glass eyes. And latterly, he did have two glass eyes. Um, but you would never know it other than the white stick. So he mm-hmm. was... Um, an incredible character. So my father commentated um, at games, initially on the shoulder of my grandfather, um, and then you know for many years he organised the uh, organisation. It's called the Rex Blind Parties. Okay. Um, you still see them on TV mm-hmm. behind the home dugout at Celtic Park. Um, I must say, uh, Jim Lewis and Ronnie Reagan, the commentators there, both retired on the same day that Scott Brown left Celtic. Um, and I've known them since I was at primary school. I must <laughs> say, uh, I, I pass my best wishes on to them uh, and pay credit to all the, the great work they've done at Celtic Park. You can see them at Ibrooks Park behind the away dugout. You see all their headphones. Um, it's done It's done with headphones now, whereas we had to, to shout. Um, right, so okay. It's probably why my throat sounds the way it does now. <laughs> so that um, you know, commentary was in the blood. Um, and you know, reporting wasn't my father. Um, was a customs and excise officer and um, worked across the UK um, with that. And, uh, you know, it was never in journalism, but certainly I had a real passion for it and reading up on it and uh, I managed to get a, an early start in my career. Yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, there's a lot of people do set out with that ambition as well. And we had Clive Tilsley on before and he um, he sort of explained that the the commitment to make it in in the profession is is almost the same as the commitment that you need to be a footballer you need to convince yourself that you are the best commentator you need to convince yourself that you're the best reporter and you need to continually pursue opportunities to to show that is is that your experience as well did you just need to keep chapping on doors until it it all came for you or, or did you have a different experience Commentators are always really, really confident <laughs> to the point of being megalomaniacs. Right, okay. <laughs> They're the most extraordinary people. 
Um, the biggest egos in television are always behind the camera, um, but the commentators are just larger than life characters. I think they have to be to maintain it, you know, to, to have the confidence to talk for so long and in such challenging circumstances, you know. Um, but no, it's not hard work. He's absolutely right about that, Clive Tildesley. Um, turning up is always a big thing. Whenever anyone, whenever I, you know, I, I, I help um, an ex-footballer get a start as a pundit, I always say to him that the most important thing is turn up. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, there's a massive problem and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one in particular who didn't take my advice and, and that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think hard work um I always over-research. But having said that, I don't think there is such a thing as too much research. Yeah, It's always good to know so that you can react to different circumstances. Um, and of course, a lot of the homework that you will do, you will never use. Mm-hmm. But in any job and anything you do in life, preparation, preparation, preparation is key. And if you're prepared, then you're confident. And if you're not prepared, then it undermines your confidence because you know that you're short and you're not sure about this and you're not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always remember Jerry McNee, um, who was a terrific mentor of mine at Scottish Television back in the days when STV was the place for TV football in Scotland. And Jerry was the governor, a terrific commentator, terrific sports editor, terrific story breaker. And somebody who, you know, who took no prisoners. Um, And Jerry's preparations for Euro 96, I remember very vividly. And for Euro 96, I was given a big break. Then I was given the studio of the STV News programme, Scotland Today, as it was Mm. now STV News at six. And the main anchor, a guy called Jim Delahunt, great guy. Um, who was the main presenter in STV of the France World Cup. So he was the last face of, the, of a major tournament for, for Scotland. Um, so Jim was down in Birmingham and uh, down in uh, London. Um, and I was linking to him uh, from the studio in uh, Glasgow. Was terrified, absolutely terrified. Yeah. Huge studios at the old STV building in Cowcaddens. But Jerry... Um, for the last game against uh, Switzerland at Aston Villa's ground, um, had cards made up of all the various scoreline permutations so that if the ball hit the back of the net, he would be able to see what was happening. Mm-hmm. And unimaginably, I mean, the, Scotland would have required something like a five-goal turnaround to qualify. And at one point, Ali McCoy scored that famous goal at Villa Park to put us 1-0 up against the Swiss. And unimaginably, a really good England team um, against a world-class Netherlands team went four up. (laughs) Now, Jerry McNee had on his cards 4-0 to them, 1-0 to us. Um, that's us going through. So Jerry was able to say, we're going through. And then that level of work meant that he was 
absolutely always knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember looking at it thinking, that's the level you've got to be at. And of course, Patrick Cliver nutmegged uh, David Seaman in the final minutes. And that, that was the goal that killed us off. Mm-hmm. That's how close we were to getting to the knockout stage at Euro 96. But it's that level of preparation, as I say, that I think that always allows you to be totally confident, you know. So if you're a, you know, if you're in a TV studio and, you know, and a, a, a pundit says, I mean, how old is he? It's great when you can say mm. he's 19 today. Yeah. He's a Josh Doy, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, that's, that's absolutely it. Yeah. That's something that I get sort of loud and clear from, from people in your profession is that you'll, you'll probably have, hours worth of research behind going into covering a game and maybe 10% of what you've actually researched will actually end up coming out of your mouth throughout the course of the game. And, and that's something that I think really sets sets uh, yourself, Clive, others that have, have made it apart from those that perhaps think they can rely upon the natural football knowledge that they have from watching a lot of games. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty clear that research and preparation is, is just a massive part of the process in preparing for covering any game, isn't it? And the commentators in particular have no time mm. to go Googling. I mean, the internet has changed the game drastically. When I started, you had two reference books for Scottish football. You had the Evening Times mm. in Glasgow's Little Red Book. And you had the Clydesdale Bank Scottish League Football Handbook. Now, that came out about September. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and actually there was good information on the players you got their height, you got their place of birth you got when they were signed to the day and mm. from where they were signed and you don't get that detail now you get everything else about them on Wikipedia but you don't get mm-hmm. that but until that point you had no stats um, I mean we used to archive the um, the score pages, the, the scoreboard from the newspapers mm-hmm. um, you know, from the Sunday papers and the Monday papers um, and that was your way of keeping track. Now, what was the score the last time they played? You know, mm. so I mean, it's you've got so much information at your fingertips now. I have to say, um, credit to my former employer, Sky, they raised the bar in the coverage of football in so many ways. I mean, it was all you know, the coverage of outside broadcasts with Tony Mills directing, Andy Melvin producing, Billy Morton is the main camera guy. Martin Tyler's commentator, the incredible Andy Gray uh, mm. as the co-commentator, and the governor, uh, Richard Keyes, as the mm-hmm. presenter. It was like nothing they'd seen before. And it was all a bit chummy and a bit giggly um, in the ITV days. And, you know, it was all a bit, uh, a bit stern and a bit, um, a bit looser when, when the BBC um, had, had the rights. Um, but they made stats key. So the days of listening to the radio and people going, oh, they're having a good season. That's a few goals he's got now. Mm. Uh, you know, Sky, Jeff Sterling on what became Soccer Saturday and, and Keys and the, the, the huge stats department at Sky made it so that you knew exactly what was happening. You knew it was five goals in 10 games, 12 goals to the season, whatever it was. And that kind of detail enhanced the coverage and as I say that didn't exist to the same extent um, and commentators 
I'm sure John Watson would have got done his stats, and I'm mm-hmm. um, sure all the guys at ITD would have done their stats, but it's not to the level um, that, that Sky did it. Yeah, they, they raised the game, didn't they? And, and it's actually brought me very nicely I wanted to talk about next because you're, you're known for your time with Sky and covering Scottish football, amongst other things. But I'm just really interested in, in learning about your experience there. And, and you know, is that, is that one of the biggest gigs you've had? Is it something you look back really fondly on? Um, yeah, just tell me about your time with Sky. Oh, it was terrific fun. I had 18 years at it as well. Mm-hmm. And the organisation, particularly at the beginning, was so groundbreaking. You would learn so much every time you went into the office. Um, I worked for a guy in Glasgow called Colin Davidson, who was such a bright journalistic mind and a bright football mind um, and a great Scottish football guy. He got the game. He got the politics, very sensible, knew the law, everything. And just, you know, and a hard taskmaster as well, uh, Colin, but terrific to learn from. Uh, very loyal, they were very loyal in those days as well and I, I just had a, a great time, mm. an absolutely superb time, great privilege um, to cover football games for the telly or for the radio, it's just tremendous and I was so so lucky um, spent a lot of time in London um, presenting for Sky Sports News and um, reporting for Sky Sports News um, travelled to over 30 countries, met some amazing people, interviewed some amazing people. Um, I love watching TV and thinking I've interviewed him or I've interviewed mm. her. Um, absolutely superb. So, yeah, it was just the, the best of times and worked with some great people, um, some exciting people, some very trying people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The whole experience was just terrific. Yes, there was pressure. Mm. Yes, there was stress. Um, yes, you had to watch your back. Um, but it was absolutely great fun. And I'll always be grateful that I got the opportunity to do it because, you know, you were in there at a time where the organisation was small in mm. terms of staff numbers. Um, so, you know, it was a difficult place to get into. But boy, was it, uh, it was great work. You were well looked after, um, but you had to work hard as well. Yeah, amazing. I was just going to ask that. Did it, did it always feel like work? Or was it kind of sometimes it's like, you know, I'm, my job is, is talking about football here. I think there's so much prep work goes into it. Mm. You know, you're never going to end up. I mean, it's a serious business. Yeah. Um, serious people. Mm-hmm. Um, football in the last couple of years has become much more informal. Um, the coverage of it and um, sometimes it's a bit banal and sometimes um, the, the sort of knockabout stuff is all very interesting but it can get a bit dull mm. uh, so if, the styles evolve um, I mean Sky was a, a big change from the St. and Greavesy I love watching the St. and Greavesy it's all very jokey but you watch it back there's, there's virtually no content in it mm-hmm. And journalistically, it's very, very thin. Analytically, it's very, very thin. Mm. Whereas Sky just took it to a whole new level. I and mean, they called it a whole new ball game in the advertising, and it was that. And, you know, Andy Gray, um, who got the job as the main pundit on Sky after a, a few beers in the Horseshoe Bar in Glasgow with Andy Melvin, who was the long-term, he was the architect of the, of the, the coverage 
the architect of the company in many ways. Um, and Andy Melvin and Gray discussed a, a game they'd been at using beer bottles. And so Andy was moving the right. This. Johnson goes there, and Paul McStay goes there, and um, Willie Miller goes there, and Charlie Nicholas goes there, and they discussed it like that, and that's mm. what got him the the job. So that um, Andy Melvin knew that Andy Gray knew the game. Mm -hmm. He knew that he could talk about the game, and he knew that the punters would be able to understand it from the way that he expressed himself. And that changed the coverage of football because they they went on to another level of that. And listen, um, Gary Neville and Cara do a terrific job now with that as well. Sometimes, um, you know, uh, sometimes maybe it gets a little bit too technical, but they're just absolutely terrific. And with David Jones in the, in the studio or Kelly in the studio, um, so th that that level of coverage is absolutely terrific. And big game, for me, it's terrific in big games. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a nice balance here as well with stories about the players and a little, you know, you get to meet the players as well. So that that level of coverage is is terrific. And as I say, it was great kind of being in and around that. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you've talked about like stories of players and managers and stuff like that. And I'd imagine you have quite a few... Uh, tales to tell um, from your experience, but I wonder if there's if there's one particular interview with one particular person that you can pick out from your your time um, in football that that really always stands out in the memory. Well, I remember my first interview. I was 16 and still at school, <laughs> and uh, I was smuggled into a pub in Argyle Street in Glasgow by a friend of mine, Doogie Jackson, um, with a, a radio recording kit. And Doogie said, there's an old uh, footballer in here um, who says he'll do an interview. So it'd be good to get some interview for you because Doogie mm -hmm. was running a radio training course. And okay, fair enough. So um, took off my school tie and put my blazer in a, I think it went into an Agnews bag, which is a <laughs> famous um, off license or Haddo's or whatever. Um, and I just went in an open, open shirt. Um, school trousers and school shoes and of course the place was just smoke everywhere in those days it was yeah. smoke in the pubs and through, through the smoke there appeared the unmistakable face of Jim Baxter oh brilliant and that's where it started for me and mm -hmm. of course I've got no time to prepare for it it's like oh my word it's Jim Baxter and did the interview you know and I knew enough about him to get me through it mm -hmm. what I didn't know I didn't commit myself on um, which is always a great skill that when mm -hmm. you hear people commit themselves and they get it wrong, you go, oh. <laughs> um, and that cassette exists somewhere. Um, and uh, so that was a great, great way to start. Um, my favorite interviewee, without a doubt, was Johan Cruyff. Mm. Not only is he the best footballer that Europe has produced, He's the greatest football brain that the world has produced, in my view. He's the guy that invents tiki-taka, mm -hmm. that creates Pep, that creates Barcelona, that, of course, goes on and creates Manchester City. Mm -hmm. So his legacy is still there. But I interviewed uh, Cruyff once or twice a year um, when he came to the golf. And you know the interviews on Sky were generally on the Champions League coverage Maximum two and a half, three minutes. Cruyff regularly got 10 minutes. He was that good. Mm -hmm. he, and 
in journalism, you always want to get a good source to interview. Mm-hmm. Someone who can give you, someone who knows what they're talking about, someone who's important, is powerful, and is credible. And Cruyff was all of those things. And he was forthright. He used to get the machine gun out for, for Josie Mourinho. Oh, really? Of course. Oh, my goodness. The negative style of play. Mm. He called, he called it before he died. He said, Manchester United will end up with Mourinho. But the biggest mistake they ever make, he's not their guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that was the case. Somebody said to me the other day, oh, he won the European uh, UEFA Cup, uh, Europa League. Who cares? Yeah. You know, that, that would be a national holiday if Celtic Rangers did it, or Aberdeen did it, or Hearts or Hibs did it. Mm-hmm. Do me a favour, Man United. So he was he was absolutely terrific. Um, but I mean, there's, there's just so many. Some You forget about about them there's so many. I remember doing Mourinho, actually. I went over to do Leon against Porto. All the English teams have been knocked out. Celtic and all Rangers have been knocked out. Mm-hmm. And we were we were told, do you want to go and do Leon against Porto? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Colin Davidson and I went out there and we mugged Mourinho on the way out of the press conference <laughs> and got about five minutes with him and... He said, oh, I've, I was approached by Liverpool. I was approached by Tottenham. I've knocked it back, but I'm desperate to go and manage in England. And I remember um, getting on the flight home the next day and it was a back page splash in all the papers. <laughs> um, and, you know, from my interview and, you know, getting great sort of European scoops like that, which was yeah. fun. Um, the other manager was Paul Gwen, uh, who ended up at Rangers and he, mm. um, and he uh, didn't even... Speak to see, oh, really? swept past us. Um, but these guys were great. Um, I remember a really famous interview I did with Eusebio up a mountain in somewhere near Guimarães in the centre of Portugal. And it was a reunion of the 1966 World Cup team. And it was generally accepted, I think, in football everywhere in the world except England, that they were the best team <laughs> at the 1966 World Cup. Bobby Charlton um, knocked them out mm. in the uh, the semi-finals. Um, and Eusebio, this amazing player, um, European Cup winner, and the inspiration behind the successful uh, Benfica era um, was the guy that we were to, to interview. And we were told, well, you might as well stay for dinner. You've come this far in this mm. restaurant. It was away up in the mountains. <laughs> So the cameraman, uh, Alistair McKinnon and myself um, had dinner and I noticed that Eusebio was knocking them back. <laughs> so I said to the guy who helped arrange it for us, look, should we do it now? I mean, we're set up, we can go now. I said, uh, he's obviously having a good time. He said, yeah, do it now. Um, and this guy later on told me that he wasn't a fan of Eusebio. He was kind of slightly a, a bit of a diva. Mm. Anyway, He'd had a right good baby. And I shook his hand and said, Eusebio, um, my name is David, and I'm from Scotland. And he said, ah, Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, all right. He said, ah, Jimmy Johnston. (laughs) Jimmy Baxter. (laughs) Willie Henderson. Dreadful impersonation. (laughs) Um, And... He rubbed his hands at that. And I, I 
mentioned this quite recently to Willie Henderson. Um, I reminded him of that story and he said, oh, he said, what a great lad you said he was. Loved a baby, loved a night out. And these guys all played in the rest of the world teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at Real Madrid. I mean, Willie Henderson's story is unbelievable. Um, it's FA Centenary game, they played in it. And um, for the rest of the world. So afterwards, they would all just go out and have a good old bevy. And uh, so he, this guy just adored uh, Jinky, uh, Jim Baxter um, and Willie Henderson, you know, so they, they were the guys that he, he remembered and um, all great characters, great players, but all great characters. So that was an amazing one. I didn't mm-hmm. get very much out of him after that, um, but um, that, that was good. Um, I remember one that I didn't get um, was uh, Berlusconi, who had not long been uh, president of uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. owner of course of AC Milan and Berlusconi came thundering towards me in the San Siro and I thought oh I've got to try and get him Yeah. so I poof, got myself in front of him the two bodyguards um, pulled uh, very close to him and I put my hand out and said um, David Tanner uh, Sky Sports Scots here um, that's, that's the level of my Italian <laughs> And um, and of course, Sky Sports are the great rival of his channel, which was yeah, about, so yeah, yeah. I should have just said Scotland. <laughs> anyway, um, I went, ha ha, uh, Sky. And uh, he patted me in the face, embraced <laughs> me, and then whew, off he went like a shot. Um, <laughs> and that, that was one that got away. I remember he had very, very thick makeup on. Oh, really? Stage makeup on, yeah, yeah. And the hair was that gleam that you get with um, with a lot of uh, lacquer on it. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting one. Um, another big star I remember seeing at an old firm game. I was in the tunnel and you saw some amazing things in those tunnels, players fighting and all sorts of madness. Um, but one particular night I remember, it was a, an old firm game at Celtic Park. And the structure of the old tunnel at Celtic Park was when you get up to the tunnel where there's the, the Terry Butcher Memorial Door, which is still there, on the right-hand side was the doctor's room. And um, I remember seeing Roddy McDonald, the doctor at the time, mm-hmm. running in there. And he came out about five minutes later. Um, well, actually, the door opened five minutes later. And out came Shane McGowan, the lead singer of the Pogues. <laughs> you know, with a few teeth and I don't think I'm being indiscreet here saying that Shane likes a baby <laughs> I think that's fairly well known isn't it <laughs> I think it, I think that's fair to say and uh, <laughs> Shane's complexion was somewhere between turquoise and, and bright green <laughs> he wasn't looking the best of fettle and mm. was um, obviously had eaten something that disagreed with him mm. <laughs> or so. and uh, and he staggered out and I said Shane Sky Sports quick word and um, he staggered into me <laughs> and staggered out the, back to wherever he came, came from <laughs> uh, and mumbled something that I couldn't work out Who knows, uh, so some great ones and uh, right about the same time I remember doing the Noel Gallagher of Oasis when they were at the peak of their powers mm. in that tunnel um, and I remember another strange one from uh, music uh, was Angus Young. 
from ACDC. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, still the, they still have the record for the best-selling album. And, um, and um, I had no idea that the Young Brothers were from Glasgow. And there's actually some great pictures of them. Um, there's a video for one of their songs where they're wearing the World Cup 1978 strip in the video for one of their songs. Yeah, right. Um, but they were actually from Glasgow, originally from sort of Easter House, Cranhill Way, and um, emigrated sort of 10 pound palms, they called it, uh, <laughs> it to Australia as um, kids or teenagers. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Angus was there. Um, and the guy who was with him, uh, a guy called Robbie McIntosh, that I'd I used to see regularly in my Radio Clyde days. Um, Robbie um, came up to me and said, David Tanner, how are you doing? Not seen you in 10, 15 years. Come and interview Angus. And it was the most difficult interview ever because he just wasn't in the same place as I was. He was very, very nice. But I think his lifestyle had maybe caught up with him, whether mm. it was a late night or too many late nights. <laughs> talking utter nonsense. <laughs> I mean, uh, so it's amazing the amount of people you got to meet uh, from all walks of lives. You know, I'm lucky that I've been able to interview Kaka, Figo, Beckham, Beckenbauer, um, you know, Bobby Moore, a whole um, Bobby Charlton, a whole host of superstars, um, all the great Dutch players. Um, I remember. I remember being in the tunnel for PSV Rangers and Venus Michels, who must have been about 90 at the time, really old guy, came in and he said, um, Dick Advocat. And, and um, I said, he's, he's, in, he's in that dressing room there. Mm. Um, and he said to me, can you open the door for me? And I thought, if I'm going to open the door at the Rangers dressing room, an advocate sees me, or John Gregg is in there, who was advocate's mm. minder, <clears throat> all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> but I said, certainly, and I walked very slowly so that he could catch up with me. And I knocked on the door, opened it, and advocate said, what? And I said, Venus Michels. And advocate went from being Mr. Angry, what are you mm. doing interrupting my post-match team talk or whatever he was doing mm-hmm. um, and he suddenly became like a little schoolboy <laughs> a little general became a private again um, in the company of you know, Venus Michels who was you know, the, um, the godfather of Dutch football and the godfather of Cruyff and of course uh, <clears throat> as an older coach had won the European Championships in 1988 there's that famous shot of Van Basten's famous goal mm-hmm. and when the camera cuts to Michels who's kind of like almost Praying because he's seen this uh, beautiful piece of finishing by Van Basten. So mm. yeah, great, great experience. Um, if anyone wants to do it, um, I would say go for it. Um, and you know, if you can get close to these people and get, you know, get a scoop, that's fantastic. I'll tell you this, that, that's something I learned from Jim White. Jim White is a force of nature. <laughs> he's an incredible human being, Jim. I've got so much admiration from him. I learned so much. But Jim always aimed really high. So he aimed with Gaza. Mm-hmm. And if that meant he ended up with Brian Loudrop, he scooped everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the guy that taught me that. Always aim high. Aim for the stars and get the stars. Yeah. Um, and you'll do, you'll do okay. And he's always done that, you know. And he's not just a presenter. He's a proper working journalist mm. who can doorstep people, knock down doors 
and a contact's booked to die for. And, you know, when you hear that, uh, if you're ambitious to work in the media, that would be the, the best advice I, I would say to you. Follow the, the Jim White mould. Yeah, no, that's great. That's, that's what it's all about. Ask ask the questions. All, all people can say is no, can't they? So got to put yourself in the right the right places. Um, and some amazing exactly. stories. The worst, they can, the worst they can say is get lost. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, some amazing stories there, uh, David. I, I could ask you about these people all night, but um, but yeah, you would you would be here for the next few hours. Um, I think uh, turning attention to the times that we're, we're in now, um, very strange times, and obviously no fans and grounds over the course of the last year. Um, so uh, football clubs have had to sort of change the way that they are um, they're providing football to their fans, basically providing that entertainment. And uh, a lot of a lot of clubs have sort of beefed up what they're doing um, with their TV channels. And you've taken on a role uh, with Hibs TV. So uh, how did that come about? And, and have you enjoyed it this season? It came about via a phone call from Greg McEwen from Hibernian. And I was walking up a hill uh, during lockdown <laughs> and uh, if only one Saturday afternoon and he said, what are you doing next season? And I had a few things um, bubbling under at the time um, and he said, look, would you, would you look after our games? And, uh, and I'd been asked to do a couple of games by Rangers at that point mm. um, because Emma Dodds, the main presenter there, was unavailable and... So I said, look, absolutely. Um, I've committed in one or two games. Um, and as, as it happened, it didn't clash. I said, I'd be delighted to do that. I said, look, the more clubs, the merrier. Um, so be delighted. Um, and I know, I've known Greg for a long time in his various roles in marketing. Um, and known him to be A, a nice guy, B, to be knowledgeable of football, really knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And just a, a great bloke. So we went on a chat, agreed a deal, and, and that was it. Um, and I was always slightly wary about the club TV thing because I think there's a, there might be an expectancy from the supporters mm-hmm. and a, that you can't necessarily meet as an independent journalist, yeah. an independent broadcaster. Um, however, I've done my best to deliver it in a way with a twinkle in the eye. And we mm-hmm. may have said, Thomas, once or twice that this is Edinburgh's only premiership football club. We yeah. may have said it once or twice. Like it's fact, um, it's fact, or it was fact at the it time. It was so fact. Can't it argue was with fact. That. <laughs> we didn't mention the Dundee vote, by the way, which we could have done. I mean, that's don't another get, story. Don't get me started. I won't get you started. Don't get me started in that either. It's the most bizarre, um, bizarre experience. So, and the thing that gave me confidence about, about Hibs was that the chairman, uh, Ronald Gordon, uh, was spending money mm-hmm. on the core business at the time, but also the TV executive. And we had the first meeting with the chairman and Greg, and I thought, well, these guys speak my language. Mm. And I've done a lot of things over the years where you've been working out with, you know, the, the confines of the TV station. Mm-hmm. And I've had to sit and listen to people pretending or making it up as they go along and making daft editorial or planning decisions and so on. Mm-hmm. Whereas, 
you know, being used to working for Sky or BT Sport or Talk Sport or STV, you knew that they were going to make the right decisions because they knew all about it. Mm-hmm. But these guys knew what they were talking about. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Um, and I think they've had a really good crack at it. Um, it's been really nice um, making it live. Um, uh, the thing I'm enjoying most about it is people stopping me in the streets, Hibs fans, and saying, look, this has been good. Mm. Love you to get this guy on because reintroducing a lot of old faces. Mm-hmm. Rob Jones came up in one of the early episodes and he was blown away by it. The response he got on social media and the, the response from the supporters was tremendous. And Rob hadn't been heard of for years. Mm. Um, Joe Tortolano came in. <laughs> Have you heard of Joe Tortolano? Yeah, I can't say that. Well, it's a very recognisable name. I can't say I remember too much about him, but uh, yeah, I, I, I recognise the name. And Joe seemed to be really touched by the response he got from the supporters. Um, and, you know, Alec Miller came in and just, I mean, Champions League winner, of course, as a coach with uh, Liverpool, and he unpicked the game to such a level. It was terrific. Gordon Strachan came in for the last one I did for them. Um, you know, so many interesting people, Stephen Whitaker with Kevin Nisbet and uh, Dre Wright during a, a lull in the COVID protocols. Mm. Um, you couldn't get players in more recently because of the bubble had been mm-hmm. reinforced. Um, but so, so many of these, these fellas that, you know, hadn't been seen by Hibs, they were able to um, share their heritage at the club again. And people really enjoyed that. And we've yeah. got some good conversation out of them. I think a lot of the coverage of football nowadays, particularly from the clubs, is very bland. Mm. And they call it content. Whenever I hear the word content, <laughs> I think, oh, God. Because it's usually pretty bland. It's like, mm. you know, players asking each other what they had for breakfast and mm. boxer shorts or briefs or kind of frilly knickers or whatever it is they wear. And you think, is this the level of it or just bland q and Whereas this was programming with a bit of personality and Gordon Strachan, they lit the place up as he does uh, whenever he's on. And we had a great laugh with uh, Pat Stanton and Yogi Hughes came in, of course, and brought the house down. Um, Mickey Weir and Keith Wright were a, a great double act. So there was a host of guys. In fact, there were so many more that we wanted to bring in. We, Kevin Harper, came in. I mean, mm. um, there's a guy that can talk about football, but you never hear him doing it. Mm. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. Um you were aware that you would get feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one guy who complained every week that I, I pronounced the happy um, hibby draw, the happy hibby draw. Mm. And every week he would complain about that. <laughs> and I used to treat him back. And eventually I started saying happy hibby or happy hibby. Delete as applicable. <laughs> um, I was listening last week and uh, Cliff Pike, who's the commentator, and Cliff's been making that, Cribs TV work since the beginning 20 years ago. Mm. Um, great lad. Uh, and I was very, very pleased at the welcome that I got coming in um, to, to what was their territory. But Cliff pronounced it the way that I'd pronounced it, and yet, I'd, but he gets away with it. So, <laughs> you know, there are strange things that people complain about. But mm. after a win, um, you know, uh, uh, it was all great. Everyone was pals. And after a defeat, you know, it was sack everyone, yeah, commentators. Yeah. Tam McManus, get rid of him. <laughs> uh, Tanner, it's his fault, you know, and um, 
it was a it was a funny experience, but I thought he was at a really good crack at it. Um, I thought the the production team from Michael Douglas, the producer, through uh, Stuart and Seth, the directors, Molly um, Gillen, who's the studio manager, and kept me in in shape. Um, you know, a great team performance, and I've got a great pal. Uh, I made some great pals, including uh, Joel Murray, the the captain of Hibs. Um, who came in most weeks mm. um, and is a very, very bright pundit and we should be, should be seeing much more of her on uh, terrestrial and satellite TV because she's very, very bright and expresses herself well. So, yeah, great great fun, great fun. And listen, who knows, it might be back next year. Um, I think that it'd be great if the clubs can keep some form of um, programming because, um, I, you know, I, I think... Um, analysis of football is impossible to do if you've not been out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the highlights formats that you get now where, you know, two pundits pontificate on half a dozen games. For me, it's not fair in the pundits. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes we've been at games and you think, mm, you missed the, the point of that one. Other times they get it absolutely bang on and do it better than we did it. Mm-hmm. By and large, if you're not at the game, it's, it's kind of, you don't watch the full thing. It's difficult to get the, get the nuance of a match but um so hopefully the clubs carry on with it because i know that some of them i've seen a lot of the output some of them have done an absolutely terrific job and and ultimately i think the podcast market is showing this there is a big market for club centered programming club centered podcasts Mm -hmm. you know you look at the number some of the the celtic podcasts get some of the rangers ones get it's massive Mm. absolutely massive and of course in, uh, in Edinburgh, there's a thriving podcast scene, um, including my own, may I say, the Edinburgh Football Show. Yeah, well, um, yeah, you've preempted me there. <laughs> ah, good man. But, but I think that's really important because, you know, the, the coverage of clubs out with um, the Govan and Parkhead districts of Glasgow mm. is very, very poor mm-hmm. um, from broadcasters. I mean, Radio 4th, um, you know, do virtually nothing on Hearts and Hibs. Um, whereas Radio Clyde in Glasgow do two, two and a half hours, whatever it is, every night Yeah. Um, with Gordon Duncan and the team doing a great job there. But that's great for Celtic and Rangers. Um, that's replicated on Sports Sound, whereas clubs in Edinburgh, mm. um, Tayside, the North East, the Highlands, don't get that same level of coverage, you know? Well, in Edinburgh, you're certainly certainly doing your part to plug that gap. Tell us a little bit about the Edinburgh Football Show and, and how it's come about. And, you know, is it going to keep going? How can people get, get a listen to it? What kind of stuff can they expect to come from it? Well, you can follow on social media. It's at Edinburgh Footy. That's at Edinburgh Footy um, on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook. And it's available on all podcast platforms. You think I'd said this before. <laughs> um, but it's everywhere. Um, yeah. In fact, you could even get it on Alexa. Alexa, play the Edinburgh Football Show podcast, please. Playing the Edinburgh Football Show from Amazon Music. Right on cue. It's been good fun to do. Um, I decided to do it on the week of the Hearts Hibs uh, Scottish Cup semi final. Mm-hmm. And I noticed there was, I listened to the radio. Um, and they did a full hour on <clears throat> let's sack Neil Lennon. Hmm. No, let's sack him. No, let's make him resign. No, let's sack him. 
And in the middle, it was a minute and a half or thereabouts with Johnny Collins and Hearts Hibs. And I thought, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's just so wrong. Um, so, you know, and I know there was real excitement here because, you know, the postie was talking to me about it. And there was, um, you know, I was, you know, the guys at Hibs um, were all over it. And um, I thought, right, I'm going to do a podcast. Um, and uh, it kind of changes every week. But I thought, the thing about the podcast market is it's full of guys who are absolute fanatics. Mm-hmm. They're authentic and they speak the mind and that's all very good. And you get a lot of people on these who talk absolute nonsense <laughs> and start talking tactics and get themselves tied up with dreadful messes. Um, and I thought, well, can I help them out a wee bit? Can I offer up a little bit of tactics and a little bit of the professional's view as an alternative or an add-on to the great stuff that the fans do, the mm. authenticity of the fans? So, um, and I started out um, inviting Derek Rarden on, his big hippie, played the game poof, the right way, just fabulous footballer. And he's got an Edinburgh accent and, you know, says, I remember him calling Gary Caldwell a Barry laddie. <laughs> a Barry laddie. Um, all these great um, Edinburgh-isms. And we started off when we, we interviewed Stephen Presley, who was down in Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, and, you know, Deke was in for the interview and ripped the arse out of Big Elvis, <laughs> um, who calls him... Dell, we used to drive to Celtic together, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it started from there. And we did a little bit with uh, with a bookie, um, friend of mine, uh, Chris Hector, um, who now works for Low Six, who do things like Hibs picks, and then we did a bit with Edinburgh City every week. Mm-hmm. Edinburgh City get no coverage, and they're delighted about that. Um, and we did an Edinburgh City player every week, and it just kind of built from there. And then our next guest was Colin Cameron. And I said to Colin, I said, Colin, that was absolutely terrific. Colin Cameron is the nicest man you will meet. <laughs> That's good to hear. And like Derek, he's got this lovely giggle. Mm. And, you know, and if they're on, sometimes on together, sometimes on separately, depending on their timings. And, you know, they um, they talk about football, they tell stories, and you know, there's, there's gold in it every week. Um, and they pass opinions as well. So, really enjoyed it. Um, get a legend on every week to talk about their time in Edinburgh. Mm. Um, If I were to get um, Frank Sozio on, I wouldn't mention the fact they won the European Cup. I'd just talk about his time in Edinburgh. Mm. And that's what makes it a little bit different from everything else. And the numbers have been good, with a good response. Um, And um, it's a a lot of work, but I really enjoy doing it. Um, I've enjoyed doing it. And it's just nice to talk up football, be positive about it. If something's wrong, say it's wrong. But by and large, just um, as I say, just offer something a little bit different to what's already out there. So um, uh, I've enjoyed doing it, and hopefully, people have enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, well, I can say as a Hearts fan, I've I've really enjoyed that dedicated um, sort of Edinburgh coverage, um, and and I've even found Deke to be surprisingly eloquent. So um, you can let him know for me. <laughs> but yeah, no. Keep well, whoever edits it good. must be doing a good job then. It That's must all be. I'll say. <laughs> okay, he's great. I mean, it's just so unfiltered. Mm-hmm. It's unfiltered punditry, you know. And he's mad on the hibs. 
Mm-hmm. Um, all his pals are jambos, mm-hmm. so he knows what's happening there. He loves a wind up, um, and he tells great stories. He said, like he said the other week there that uh, he said he was. He said, "John, I'm really envious of David Gray." He said, "If I had scored that goal in the cup final, mm. I'd probably have gone so mad that I'd have stripped naked and streaked around Hamden." It's <laughs> like, where did that come from? Of course, it's exactly, it's entirely true. Um, and I think that's been great fun uh, hearing that. Um, so, um, Colin's a, a great tells some great stories as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, they'll nail players and they'll say who they want to see the club sign and. Um, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're, they're both really well respected. So we're a, a great, um, I've had a great time doing it all and speaking to some great names. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Laria Kingston in Accra and Ghana. Oh, brilliant. You know, who, you know, who told the story of why things went wrong for him at Hearts. Mm. Um, and the narrative that a lot of the fans handed out um, was, for me, verging on racist. Mm. How old is he? Mm-hmm. The fake passport from yeah, Africa, yeah. really? Mm. Oh, come on! Um, and you know, uh, oh, he was lazy. I mean, it's just like a. Uh, the response was quite unsatisfactory. Mm. Um, but I touched on that because I think one of the things that I like to do in the podcast is say I'll ask on social media, send in a question, mm-hmm. um, and I'll ask it, um, and I'll give you a name check, and I'll ask the question because the fans know more about these people than that I do, and yeah. indeed the interviewees do. Um, so it's been good fun to do. It's been good fun to do. Um, should we do it next year? I don't know. It's probably not. It's not my place to say, really. It's supposed to be the audience. It's people yeah, well, it. yeah, I, I think keep it going. I think, um, like you said, numbers have been good. People are enjoying it. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. If you're leading up to a Scottish Cup semi-final uh, between two of the biggest clubs in Scotland and there's a, a 90 second piece of coverage on some of the more mainstream channels, then someone's got to fill that gap, haven't they? So, uh, so yeah, if you've got the appetite mm. for it, then I'm sure people would keep, love to keep hearing it. Yeah. I just love talking about football. I get really annoyed when people say, ah, you're only interested in the old firm. Mm. Listen, when I worked for Sky, we did the old firm away game every other week. Mm-hmm. That's the way it worked. So you, you focused on the game you were doing mm-hmm. and that's the way it was. Um, was I interested in all the clubs? Of course I was. I live a mile away from Tyne Castle. I live three miles away from Easter Road. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm interested in those, you know. Um, cup final week. Whenever I think of cup final week, I think of Aberdeen more than mm-hmm. any other club. Mm-hmm. Because as a kid, I went along to all these, I went to just about every cup final in the 1980s as a kid, a schoolboy. Um, and I associate the old Hamden Park with cup finals. I always arrive and it's a new one. You go, oh yeah, it's a new one. And I associate Willie Miller. And I, we used to say, stand next to the, the blind parties, went next to the tunnels. And um, I had a great autograph book, by the way. Mm. Nobody could better my autograph book <laughs> in those days. Can imagine. The whole England team. Thanks very much. Um, and the, the trophy um, platform, the presentation platform was just at the front of the stand behind where we stood. Um, so I associate that with Aberdeen. By the way, I must say a story about the 86 League Cup final. Go for it. 84, 85, 86. I'm getting old. I'm forgetting the numbers. Um, But Aberdeen played Hibs. And Alec Ferguson spotted someone in the blind party that he knew from Govan. (laughs) And a guy called Lach Lenore, who's a commentator. And he'd been Fergie's BB captain in Govan. Mm -hmm. 
And um, in fact, Fergie was talking recently about the Ibrox disaster. And he said that his brother, Martin, had gone to the for a drink. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know whether he was dead or alive. Um, and every, every house in Glasgow has got a story like that from that night, including my own mother, my gran. My aunt thought my uncle had died because they announced the names of the dead mm. as they died. Mm-hmm. It was none of this that relatives have been informed stuff that you get now. So my um, my aunt and my gran both thought that their husbands had died, Adam Henderson. It was another Adam Henderson. Mm. Um, anyway, the, um, Fergie's brother had gone to the Rolls Royce Club for a drink and that's and Lockheed ran that so it was good for a baby as well <laughs> and um Fergie came over with a league cup and I got to hold the league cup as a kid and I remember thinking wow this is just amazing you know mm. and they passed it around the blind fans because the blind fans had knew of the league cup they didn't know what it what it looked like yeah until they felt it you know mm-hmm. um amazing. and I'll always I'll always respect Alec Ferguson for that because mm-hmm. he shoot everyone's hand in the blame party. Um, and most of the fans were from Celtic Rangers, Partick. Mm. There's a guy from Hearts used to come along all the time to big Scotland games and so on. Um, the Aberdeen party was a bit smaller, but Fergie came in and did that. And I always, from that, I always judge Alec Ferguson and that, you know, a little bit yeah. of class. Fantastic. Um yeah, brilliant. I, I just want to, you've, you've obviously, you've been one of the few people that's had an opportunity to attend games this season in Scotland and uh, it's been quite the season for Scottish football um, and we'll talk about Hibs' chances with the Cup in a second, but uh, just what's your take, really? You've seen Rangers, you've seen Celtic. Um, yeah, what's your take on how this season's gone? Did you see this coming? Did you see the Rangers' dominance and Celtic's downfall coming? I was talking to an ex-Celtic player the other day who remained nameless mm. and I said to him, look, I've got a theory for you here. I said, Celtic were rotten for the last two years, save for the six weeks between coming back from Dubai Mm -hmm. and the lockdown. And he said, yeah. He said, we got battered in the League Cup final, Mm -hmm. but won it. And... That game there, I think, could have broken Rangers for you know for this generation, mm-hmm. and it would have been another generation before they won anything. So I think you need to bear that in mind because Celtic um, were rotten for virtually all of the season that's just finishing, mm-hmm. and they were rotten for virtually all of the season that was discontinued when COVID first arrived. So we shouldn't be that surprised that they didn't do well, that the gap narrowed. But a complete collapse, I didn't see that coming. Mm. But there appeared to be, a, to me, a, be a, a disconnect between the executive and the supporters. Yeah, definitely. The fences and around the stadium and, you know, nobody knew what was going on for much of it. And I respected Celtic, I have to say, for standing up to the mob and saying, we're not sacking them. Mm-hmm. because it was the perfect storm as Neil Lennon said it was they got COVID mm. Odson and Ward got COVID other players got it you know through no fault of their own Ryan Christie had to self-isolate um, for an old firm game I seem to remember mm. um, there were injuries um, you know there was the ball and golly thing 
Mm-hmm. And I don't care what anyone says, Celtic could not legislate for that. Mm-hmm. So there was a variety of factors. Um, did the crowd not being present affect Celtic? I think it does, yeah. The crowd, that, in big European nights, the crowd does not make great footballers and great European teams crap themselves at Parkhead mm. or Ibrox. Mm-hmm. What it does do, <clears throat> it adds 10 20, 30% to the games of the Celtic or Rangers players. Yeah. So I'm not entirely, I'm still not entirely sure. Because if it affected Celtic, why didn't it make Rangers perform mm. to the team? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Hibs only finished third because there's no crowd in, well, why did Aberdeen have such a bad season? Mm-hmm. I mean, people can invent stuff. I do think that Celtic, their policy under Peter Law has been hugely successful of buying in cheap and selling on. And I think the push for this 10 in a row thing, and I speak to a lot of friends with Celtic fans who say, we don't care about 10 in a row. It's mm. all about Europe. I mean, Rangers, you know, the Rangers went in the league for four of those years. Mm. That, that, they're not bothered about that. They're, they're fine with that. It's just the fact that it's like, it's all about mm. Europe. Everything else has been about this 10 in a row thing. And I think they held on to Odson Ward for too long. Um, he didn't look interested for a lot yeah. of the season. Now, he is very sanguine in his appearance. Um, I mean, the guy's been here for what, four, almost five years. He's done his bit. Yeah. Up mm-hmm. in Scotland. He's done his bit. So I think that was a problem. I think the goalkeeper they signed, um, and I saw him in the flesh for the first time uh, on the final day of the league season. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like a guy who is going to frighten players. If you had a run-in with um, Marciano at Hibs, you know all about it. Mm-hmm. Craig Gordon, um, for all that he's slim still has a physical presence. Mm. Alan McGregor, Joe Lewis, you know, you would know all about it if you collided with those boys. But I'm not sure about Barkas. So I think the signings were pretty poor. Mm-hmm. So there was a variety of things that hit Celtic. And there was that whole bizarre uh, situation where the First Minister decided that they would have a two-week suspension. Mm-hmm. I mean, bizarre decision. Apart from anything else, it allowed Celtic to um, all the players could self-isolate and it yeah. they didn't miss any players. So it actually worked. You could argue the Celtic's advantage. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was unfair, uh, um, particularly as the ball and goalie situation was, I felt, you know, with their control. Mm-hmm. Um, he was their responsibility, however. So mm-hmm. there was a, a variety of things went wrong with Celtic. Rangers, on the other hand, have just been getting better year on year. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been. I spoke to Stephen Davis. Uh, I interviewed him for Talk Sport during lockdown, and I said to him, "Look, are you worried that this long gap for someone your age means that you'll come back, and you might struggle a bit?" Mm. I always remember Frank Sozi coming back after a really good season, and his legs had gone during the summer. No shame in it. Mm-hmm. And of course, Stephen Davis 
this Stephen David said to me, he said, I'm not sure. I said, I hope I'll be fine. He said, I'm walking out, walking with my family and go for runs and all the rest of it. It's all I can do, keep myself ticking over. Mm-hmm. He said, the best season he's had in a Rangers jersey. And some of his seasons, the UEFA Cup final year, for example, he's been world class. Mm-hmm. So it just shows you. Um, I asked the question and uh, it wasn't an issue for him. It has been an issue for some others, I could mention. So mm. I think um, Rangers have got better year on year. Um, I remember just over a year ago being at uh, Tyne Castle and looking at Steven Gerrard and thinking he might go after this, you know, when they get knocked mm-hmm. out of the cup, they lost in the league. I thought he might go. He looked so desolate. He'd been let down badly by his players. And now he's a champion. So yeah. you've got to hand it to them. They've, they've dug in there. Um, they've made the team better every year. Um, he's made guys like, um, you know, he's made the most of the assets that were there. Ryan Jack, for example, James Tavernier. Goodness me, James Tavernier. What a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's made them better players. He's made them winners. And I think that's incredible, you know. Um, does it mean a poor season because they didn't win a cup? Frankly, I couldn't care less. Um, I much prefer it when the old firm don't win everything. Mm-hmm. I like it when the, the honours are spread around. And St. Johnson, what a story. Um, on the brink of a double as we speak. Um, I'm hoping Hibs win it. Apologies. Uh, you're you okay. in Perth. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, I do like a spread of the trophies and I've been very close to the guys at Hibs this year and I've seen how hard they've worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know them to be a really, really good team. Um, but St. Johnson are hard to play against, so you never know. So, yeah, it's been fascinating. But listen, St. Mirren have had their best season for three decades. Mm-hmm. Absolutely superb, you know. I mean, who would have thought that when they were, you know, they made a mess of their COVID protocols a number of times. Mm. Once is unlucky. Twice is very unlucky. After that, you know, you need to look at yourself. And they did. They made it better. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he signed some good players. And there's a steely determination about Jim Goodwin that I like. So, um, yeah, I think it's been a ter- terrific season. Um, no offence to Celtic um, in the league and the two cups. Um, they did win the Scottish Cup, of course, we should remember, as you will, will need no reminding of. Mm-hmm. Um, and no offence to Rangers in the Cups. It's nice when the old firm don't get it all their own way. So, um, yeah, from that, from that point of view, it's been a, a terrific season in Scotland. And the national team have done us proud. Well, oh boy. Absolutely. And that's, I guess that comes on to the final thing. We've got the Euros to look forward to, and you particularly have got the Euros to look forward to, um, given your role there with Talk Sports. So uh, how much, uh, after 22 years or however, 23 years, however long it's been, how, how much are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I cannot tell you how excited I am. I was talking to my colleague at Hibs TV, uh, Joelle Murray there about her experience at the finals with Scotland. She was part of uh, Shelley Care squad and they had three weeks, three weeks in Nice on the Riviera. Mm. I've got three weeks in Darlington. <laughs> <laughs> um, in and around uh, Middlesbrough's training ground where um, Scotland are based. But I tell you what, I wouldn't swap it for mm-hmm. six weeks in the Maldives because <laughs> it's going to be so good um, I really like Steve Clark I don't know him that well um, our paths really crossed um, but I, I like his style, I like the fact he's steady Eddie, I like the fact he's reliable nothing nothing 
Um, nothing shakes him. Um, he has been, uh, he's got the best out of the players. He's got the squad better. Um, I have to say, everybody who was involved in getting um, Shea Adams into the squad deserves um, our credit and praise because that was terrific. That's a game changer for Scotland. Um, and who knows? Um, you know, um, who knows? We might just have enough in the locker to push our way into the, the, the knockout stage. I've got to say, England are decent. Mm-hmm. They're beatable. Um, Croatia are quality. And the Czechs are also quality. I'm mm-hmm. worried about the Czech game because we'll play them twice when they've been decimated. Mm-hmm. Games decimated by COVID. So I'm worried that they've got a point to prove. Um, but um, listen, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Be Let's all top up the guys. Um, we've got a terrific squad of players. Um, we've got some great leaders in the team. And Andy Robertson, Kieran Tierney, Scott McTominay, um, whoever plays in goal, be it Craig Gordon or Davy Marshall. Um, I like Grant Hanley. He's got terrific pace. He adds a, another dimension to the back line. Um, you know, Shea Adams looks real quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got the opportunity for Kevin Nisbet to come in. I really like Lauren Shankman. I think he's a terrific footballer. Far, far better footballer than I think people realise. Mm. Um, and of course, Lyndon Dykes has added another dimension as well. So it's a completely different squad um, from where it was 18 months ago. Um, and we're in the finals. So yeah. it's brilliant, you know. Of course, I have not mentioned John McGinn. I mean, John, this guy, John McGinn, what an inspiration. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to being with the squad every day and being on Talk Sport, talking about the Scotland team every day on Talk Sport. Um, the games are live on Talk Sport. If anyone in the unlikely event is not near a TV, um, that's the best place to get the commentary. And we'll be all over it. So, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. These guys, um, are going to have a ball. Are going to have a ball. I don't know. What, I don't know what it's going to be like for the fans. To be honest with you, mm. um, will there be the same buzz? People keep telling me that nobody cares about the Scotland team anymore. Um, I personally, these are the most important games for me. Um, despite what people tediously say, you know, I couldn't care less who wins a game of football in in the league. You know, I just mm. want to be. I want to be entertained mm-hmm. i want a good story and i want to do a good job with the game i'm covering mm-hmm. but the scotland games mean everything to me yeah um they mean everything's because of that. and those are the games where i can really let myself go um so here's hoping here's hoping what do you Absolutely. think are we, going to, are we going to get out of the group are you confident i'm, I'm one of those ones that's just it's just fantastic that we're there and i think we can go into those games just yeah, with nothing to lose. Like, what is there to lose? So let's just go in, give it a go. Like you've said, you've listed them off there. We've got some fantastic players. Let's just give it a go. Let's see what happens. We're up against it. But, you know, we wouldn't have it any other way as Scotland fans, would we? And as I always say, at least nothing can go wrong now. <laughs> fantastic. Look, David, I really appreciate you giving us so much time this evening here at the fourth official. It's been a brilliant chat and I could have kept going for hours, but um but you'll have better things to do. But no, thanks again. Um and uh, and yeah, enjoy the Euros when they come along and we'll keep an eye out for what you're up to next season and beyond too. 
Thomas, thank you very much for having me on. Very kind of you to invite me on to the fourth official. Um, keep up the good work. Uh, you do some nice stuff, sensible stuff, polite stuff, constructive stuff, and bright stuff as well. So uh, there's not a lot of that about. So <laughs> keep it up and uh, all the best to you with the rest of your work too. Top man. Thank you very much. If you enjoy interviews from the world of Scottish football like this one and our articles, then please consider becoming a fourth official subscriber on Patreon. You'll get access to bonus material and all of our content there first for as little as £2.99 per month. Help us to tackle the mainstream media by becoming a subscriber now at patreon.com slash the fourth official.